There was an American poet named Archibald Rutledge, and he tells the story about happening upon a man in the woods one day as he was walking. He found a man who was just there in the middle of everything uh, crying, just a man by himself crying in the woods. And so Mr. Rutledge, he stopped by the man and, and asked him what was the matter. And the man began to tell him a story about his dog. He has a dog, and that dog has been kind of his buddy through his life. And this particular man, he worked for the forestry service, and so he was out in the forest all day long. And he went out that day with his dog, and he had a lunch, and he took the dog, he set the dog down, he set the lunch down, he had to go do something. And so he told his dog, hey, I want you to stay right here. Sit, stay, watch over the lunch. And he went to go do his work for a little bit. While he was gone, apparently there was a fire. A fire had broken out in the area, and the fire grew and grew, and the fire came and surrounded this dog, and the fire actually consumed the dog, because the dog stayed right there where his master told him to and watched over his lunch. <laughs> Listen to you. <laughs> oh. I know, you can't really tell a story like this in Austin area, actually. You, you end up like in prison or something, but uh, just to be clear, I don't condone this behavior, but... Um, but the dog had died, and so he, he happened upon the man, and he's just bawling. He's crying because he lost his friend. And Archibald, he was so curious about this and asking him about how did this work, and he just said he was the most faithful friend. And I always had to be careful about what I told him to do because I knew that if I told him to do it, he would do it. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing story, and I think it's a beautiful picture of what it should be like to follow Jesus, although be it ever so challenging. Uh, it's interesting to me, that story, when you start to contrast it with other things. Let's say you contrast that story with a cat. It, that would not have happened. It, it just wouldn't have been the same story at all. Cat would have been like, watch your own lunch, I don't care. And actually, the cat probably wouldn't even have been there. The cat would have been at home saying, yep, see ya, have a great day, whatever. Or, more appropriately, Right, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't own cats. Some of you who own cats, that's what I understand, I don't know. Um, but, but it would have been different. And if you contrast it to us, it's certainly not the same story. I mean, we, we so much, in our culture today, we are so much more interested in what we want to do. That doesn't feel good to me. I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I would much rather do what I want to do. And today we're in Romans chapter 13, and we, everybody, congratulations, because we are talking about living under authority. Wow, it's really quiet. Thank you for that. Well, Paul is talking about living under authority. These last several chapters, chapters 12 through 16, they're kind of all about service. And so we're going to talk about authority today as we talk about the words of Paul, and we're going to read it together here. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. So everybody, buckle up. Here we go. Romans 13, verse 1 says, Everyone must submit himself or herself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. Yay! For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So the Apostle Paul is talking here, he just, out of the gates, talking about our relationship to the government, and, and really to authorities in general in all of our lives. And for some of us, as I get into this, you're already done. <laughs> you're like, I'm checking out on this one. Thanks. I like chapter 12, it was good. Chapter 13, I ain't so sure. Because you've had bad experiences. Because you've seen abuses. Because you watch the news, just like I do. And so you think, as I do sometimes, our country is out of control. I've experienced really difficult things. I've watched people abuse their authority and their power. The truth is, we live in a historic low for how people view authority today. They say that only 18% of Americans today say they can trust the government in Washington to do what's right. Oh, sorry, 17%. 16. I'm just kidding. It's not going down that fast. Only 64% of Americans have a favorable view of police officers, with only 55% of Latino Americans holding that favorable view, and only 18% of black Americans holding that favorable view. And everybody, there are reasons for this. And then, of course, we've all been watching it play out. There are these high-powered men who have been in authority, who have misused and abused and harassed women, using their authority to do so. We're all seeing it just about every day. So for many of us, as we start talking about this, and we're thinking about authority and obedience to authority, some of you, your blood just starts to boil, and you get frustrated at the idea that we're even going to talk about this. But listen, what God is saying here through Paul in Romans chapter 13 is that the way that we relate to our government and the way that we relate to the authorities in our lives is an indication of our commitment to Jesus. The way that we relate to government and authorities is an indication of our commitment to Jesus. And actually, I think this is one of the most important lessons that we have to learn as followers of Christ. I think it's vital to our success, and it's a massive principle in Scripture, how to live under authority. Honestly, I think it's one of the keys to living a blessed life. And it's a key to living as a, as a real, true apprentice to Jesus Christ. We've told our kids since the beginning... Hey, listen, it's very important that you learn how to do what I tell you to do. Because if you can't figure out how to obey me, and you don't learn the lesson here at home, you're not going to learn the lesson when you go and you won't obey your teachers. And if you can't obey your teachers, that's going to be really hard for you. And if you can't obey your teachers and you don't learn the lessons at home or with your teachers at school, you can't do what your professors tell you to do when you get to college. And if you can't figure that out, then you're going to get out and you're not going to have respect or honor for what your boss tells you to do. And that means you're going to be fired. We're really encouraging to our children. If you can't figure this out now, it's going to hurt you in the long run. If you can't figure out how to obey your boss and to follow the authority of your boss, you'll have a difficult time with the laws of the land and with what police officers tell you to do. You will have a difficult life. And Ewan, if you don't figure out how to do this, you won't be able to do what your wife tells you to do. I'm just kidding. That's actually not what I tell them. 
So let's describe this life a little bit. Psalm 91, verse 1. Listen to this. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You'll tread upon the lion and the cobra. You'll trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. David's describing what life is like when you live under God's covering or under God's authority. And he says there's protection, there's freedom, there's answer to the prayers that you pray. When he calls upon me, I will answer him, he says. But notice how this whole passage starts out with he who or she who. So the question is, who is it that's under the shadow of the Almighty? And the psalmist says, the one who is under God's covering is the one who's under God's authority. The one who's under the covering of God is the one who goes under the authority of God. And there, right there, I think, is the real disconnect for a lot of us. We don't really understand what that means, to live under God's authority. And in fact, we tend to often kind of quickly step out from under it. We, we make decisions on our own accord and do things that we want to because we feel like this isn't working out for me. I feel uncomfortable in my job, and surely God doesn't want me to be uncomfortable, so I'm going to step out of my job. I don't like what happened at the church I went to, and so I'm going to step out of that thing. I don't like the way my family is going, and so I'm going to step out where God has planted me. So we disagree. We have issues with authorities that are over us. And then we tend to use the God card. Well, God said. I think the God card is a pretty dangerous card. And you have to be sure when you use it. And I, frankly, I think we often use it too quickly. I'm uncomfortable. I had a disagreement with my authority. And so surely God doesn't want that. I lay it down and I step out of the thing and the place that God actually had called me to. We get out too early. We just make decisions without consulting or getting the, the blessings of the authorities that God has placed in our lives. And we step out from under God's divine protection and authority. And we end up actually going against the will of God in pursuit of what we think we should do because I just believe it's good for me. There was an economist named John Kenneth, uh, I think it's Galbraith, I'm not sure exactly how to say that last name, but he tells a story about his housekeeper, uh, Emily Gloria Wilson, and uh, he had had a really long and trying day, and so he said, I'm going to take a nap, and so please hold all my calls until I get finished with my nap, and so he went to lay down. Pretty soon after he'd fallen asleep, the phone rang, and she picked up the phone, and it was President, President Lyndon Johnson, and he was calling for Kenneth. And he said, hey, may I speak with Kenneth, please? And she said, oh, Mr. President, I'm so sorry, he's taking a nap. 
And so he said, well, wake him up. I would like to speak to him. And Emily Gloria Wilson said, I'm sorry, sir. I work for him, not for you. He'll call you back as soon as he wakes up. <laughs> she hung up the phone. <laughs> Imagine being Kenneth and making that phone call back to Lyndon Johnson. Most of us would think, what? What did you do? That was the President of the United States. But I think she had something figured out, actually. And so when he called Lyndon Johnson back, Lyndon Johnson picked up the phone and said, I don't know who that woman is, but I want her working here at the White House. Because she gets it. She understands it. And he was totally blown away by how she responded to authority and stayed under the authority that she was given. Check this out in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go. It will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. This was a man who got it. He understood what it meant to live under authority. He knew how to be under authority. He knew how to submit to authority. He knew how to use his authority. And so Jesus talks about here some results of submitting to authority. The first one, he says, is essentially faith. Jesus says in verse, chapter, in verse 10, I tell you the truth, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith as this man. And it wasn't just faith, but what came next? It was answered prayers. He said in verse 13, go, it's going to be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that very hour. So Jesus, he equated this understanding of submission to authority as faith. It was faith. And as a result, the man's prayers were answered. Everybody, I want to learn to live my life like this. I want us to be a church where we live this out every day. I live under authority, so Jesus can also say to me, go, it's going to be done just as you believed it would. So with that in mind, now let's go back to Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. There's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So Paul, I think, is giving three big ideas here about authority, and we have to wrestle with them. I mean, it is challenging. The first thing I think he says is that God is the source of all authority in the universe. All the authority that exists, God is the source of it. But when we talk about authorities, I think that there's an important distinction that we have to make here. Because when we say authorities, it doesn't equal a person. When we say authorities, I think it actually equals a position. Not necessarily a person, but authorities, as we're talking about it here, it represents a position. That means regardless of who's president, who's governor, who's a congressman or congresswoman, I might not agree with their political positions, 
I may disagree with the way that they do what they do, but I'm called by God to respect and honor their position regardless of their personality. If you've been in the military, I think this makes maybe a little bit more sense to you. Because as, as I understand it, um, you probably didn't guess, but I have never been in the military. You probably, probably couldn't tell that by looking at me, but, but I haven't been. Um, but as I understand it, when you're in the military, you salute the position. You may have total contempt for that person. You may have had horrible experiences with that person. You may not like that person at all, but you salute the position. So people in lower ranks will be driving cars of people in higher ranks, and they'll be saluted. Why? Because they're saluting the position. They're providing honor and respect to the position, and I think that's what we have to do. Because God is the source of all authority in the universe. The second thing Paul is saying is, since all governing authorities are instituted by God, all authorities are delegated by Him and represent His authority. That's why throughout the entire Bible, over and over again, you see God holding those in authority to a higher standard than everybody else. He takes it very seriously. And they need to do rightly and justice in their position. As a person of authority, you are in fact a servant of God because all authority comes from him, Romans 13 says. And the third thing Paul is saying is God established this system of authority to manifest himself. So every time you encounter somebody in authority, you actually have the opportunity to encounter God by how you respond to that position of authority. This is getting fun, isn't it? Romans 13, 1. Let's do it again. It says everybody must submit himself to the governing authority. So let's break down what Paul's saying here about authority. He says, first, everyone. Everyone. Now, a really cool thing that preachers do sometimes is they ask really obvious questions. So they'll say things like, how much is all? All. That's very good. Isn't it embarrassing? I get so mad when we do that. But who is everyone? It's annoying, isn't it? See, I told you. Here's what he's saying. Nobody's exempt. Nobody gets out of this. No one's exempt. We got to get this in our minds. I am a part of everyone I'm not exempt from this passage. He says, everyone must, <laughs> must. That means it's not a suggestion. What's about to come is not a, a, a recommendation to us. And we're far too prone to use these things as recommendations. We tend to think more of the 10 suggestions than the 10 commandments. Oh, surely God is just providing us a nice way that we should potentially live for the best life we could possibly have. No, there are actually 10 commandments that he's given for us to obey. And this is the same in this verse. Everyone must. He's giving us a command. And so the next thing he says is what? Everyone must submit. Submit. It's a Greek military term, and it means to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. And in a non-military use, it means a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. So to submit means to voluntarily place ourselves under submission to authorities with full intent of obeying them. Everyone must do this. This is easy to say. It's super easy for me to stand up here right now and tell you. And theoretically, it's all easy for all of us to believe. But the rubber really meets the road when your authority tells you to do something that you no longer want to do. 
So he says everyone must submit to the governing authorities. Exactly who are those? The New Testament talks about four divisions of uh, delegated authority. Here's what they are briefly. The first one is civil. For us, that's local, state, national authorities. And in Romans 13, Paul doesn't actually mention any specific form of government. He just says governing authorities, and that's on purpose. It does not say everybody ought to be a Republican, because Jesus was a Republican. No, he wasn't. <laughs> it doesn't say everybody ought to be a Democrat. Everybody ought to be a Libertarian, because Jesus likes freedom. No, it doesn't say any of those things. It says governing authorities. In fact, Paul was writing this in the Roman Empire. Everybody, this wasn't a democracy. This was a dictatorship. And he's still writing it and still saying that it's true. God's people have lived under a lot of different forms of government throughout history. And God's not saying, obey the government that you agree with and you think the policies are right or the ones that suit you. He's saying, obey the governing authorities. But the Bible does say that civil government is part of God's purpose for the world. And this, it's not just civil, but it's church. That may come as a surprise to some of you. Authority in the church. Uh, then it's family. Authority in your family and parents, their kids. And then, of course, social. So it could be your bosses. It's, it's, uh, it's teachers. It's people like that. So with this in mind now, here we go. One more time. I know you've heard it a lot. Romans 13, 1. Everyone, that means you and me, must, this is a command, submit, voluntarily place ourselves under submission to, with the full intent of obeying, himself or herself to the governing authorities, civil, church, family, and social, for there's no authority except that, that which God has established. That's good, isn't it? A little quiet. The big question for today is, do you know who the, the authorities are in your life? Do you know who they are? Out of those four, do you know who they are, and how are you actually doing at submitting yourself to them, as God is saying through Paul here in Romans chapter 13? So these are the positions of authority that we submit to, but let's just take it before we go, let's just take it just a little bit further, because there's these seven levels of authority, and I think this is where it really gets real. This is the rubber hits the road moment. This is the litmus test to see if you're really going to live under authority. And actually, I think that everything that we do, everything that we believe should all be submitted to these seven levels of authority. And if you will do this, you can know I'm living under the authority that God has called me to. The first one is sovereign authority. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the only one who holds this authority. There's nobody like him. Nobody compares to him. He's never challenged. He's always right. He's never wrong. There's no pastor. There's no president. There's no pope. There's no apostle. Nobody fills this position. Every person is fallible. We all make mistakes. He never does. And so we submit to his sovereign authority. The second one is the authority of truth. Psalm 138.2 says, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Above everything, your name and your word. You can look up those other scriptures later. Acts 17.11 talks about this as well. But the authority of truth is everything that's written down in the scriptures. And that's why every believer must submit themselves, dig in, read, learn through the week, figure out what the Bible has to say. In fact, you show up here on a Sunday, don't believe me. Don't believe the things that I say. Well, I mean, 
give me a chance. Believe me. But go home and read it for yourself. Look up the scriptures that are written on your message notes. Go find out what the scripture really has to say. I'm a fallible human being. I only know what I know. It's your responsibility to dig in and find the authority of truth in your life. And you'll know if these two authorities are in order in your life. Because if they're not, things go squirrely. You'll start to believe whatever somebody says. Truth kind of becomes relative to you. You just decide, I, I'm going to do whatever feels good to me. Whatever I think, that's what I'm going to do. What other people are saying, I, I can easily embrace. We aren't called to live that way. We submit ourselves to sovereign authority and the authority of the scriptures. Yeah? <laughs> the authority of the conscience is the third one. You can read Romans 14, 1 through 12 in the message version on your own. It talks about this in a great way. But essentially, we all have our own personal convictions or internal moral code. What we should eat, gluten-free. Keto. <laughs> Can I tell you a secret? I don't even know what the words mean that I just said, but whatever. Um, <laughs> things that we can drink or can't drink. Um, things that we should wear. What movies we can watch and we don't watch. What music we listen to. We all have an authority of our conscience. And the authority of conscience only has authority when the Bible has nothing to say about the topic that you're thinking about. If it has nothing to say, then it's on you, and your own conscience has an authority. But the authority of the conscience is different for everybody. And this is where a lot of conflict comes between Jesus followers. Because we try to enforce our own conscience on somebody else. And a lot of pastors and churches make mistakes right here. Like, I may think that it's a terrible thing, and you should not wear black. And especially to church, you shouldn't wear black. But you may think it's fine to wear black. I can't enforce on you my own belief, because the scripture doesn't say anything about whether or not we should wear black on Sunday morning. You with me, yes or no? Yes. Number four, delegated authority. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. We've talked about delegated authority already, but it's given to, the pe to, to people and it's based on responsibility. It's just based on responsibility, not necessarily based on talent or intelligence. It's just been delegated to them. Because God instituted this authority, Romans 13 says to rebel is to rebel against God. And so examples are parents, teachers, bosses, the government. And this is where it gets really confusing and challenging because what happens when delegated authority tells you to do something against what God has said? What happens when delegated authority abuses their power? That's why Paul says in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Important idea, folks. We have to remember that we are citizens of two worlds. I'm a citizen of heaven first, and I happen to be a citizen here, but that means I have a double allegiance to my country and to my God, but my God comes first. But how do you keep him in balance? In Luke 20, the Pharisees, they're trying to trick Jesus with this very issue, and look how Jesus deals with the balance. He says in Luke chapter 20, verse 22, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius, whose portrait and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. It's really important to, to realize what Jesus is doing here in this verse. Because in Jesus' day, Caesar was declaring that he himself was God. And so Jesus, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God, what is God's. He's saying, hey, everybody. Caesar is not God. And so give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. 
Give him the taxes. Give him the stuff here of the earth. But give to God what is God's, your life, your allegiance, your worship, everything that you have. Remember, you're a citizen of heaven. You obey him first. And when your authority goes against what he says, that's when you have the permission to back out. And for the original disciples of Jesus, this would be what would get most of them killed. They were willing to obey Caesar in almost all things, but they would not accept that Caesar was God. Number five, authority of customs. Genesis 29, 26. It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. This is the story of Jacob working for seven years for his uncle Laban in order to get Rachel, whom he loved. But instead, Laban kind of switched on the wedding night and gave Leah, the older daughter, instead. Can you imagine that experience for him? What? <laughs> that was a real shock the next morning. But this is, <laughs> this is where people get in trouble because they just didn't understand this authority, the authority of custom. Each culture has customs, a way of doing things. And sometimes we overlook it, but it actually is really important. It's my understanding that in Eastern Europe, when you give a girl flowers, you have to give them an odd number of flowers because you take an even number of flowers to a funeral. So I guess if you hand them an even number of flowers, you're saying, Dun, 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 I love you? Everywhere has customs, and it's important to pay attention to those. Stipulative authority is the sixth one, Genesis 29, 18. I will work for you, this is the same story, Jacob, I will work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So he had Leah after he worked for seven years, then he said, I'll work seven more years if you'll give me uh, Rachel. And so they entered into an agreement this authority is based on terms and conditions of an agreement. When I went to Oral Roberts University, I had to sign an honor code. And it said, I won't drink, I won't swear, <laughs> I will wear a tie to class, it was ridiculous. I will, I will do all these things. And I, I signed, and I said, I will participate under the terms of this agreement. And then finally, the last one, seven, is functional authority. Ephesians 4.11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So where delegated authority comes out of your responsibility, functional authority comes out of your ability through training, through talents, through gifts, or through impartation from the Holy Spirit. So doctors are an example of this kind of authority. Somebody who's just an expert in something. Um, Five-fold ministry leaders, things like that. Why don't you guys come back up? up. We're going we're gonna to close here. So how does this work? Because, like, okay, thanks for that, Brent. I appreciate the seven levels. That's, that's really fun. But, but, but what does that mean? Let's, let's take one example really quick before we close, and let's just try to walk it through quickly. Let's take a really fun example that most of us at some time or another, we've had to kind of wrestle through. That example being what we do as believers with alcohol. <laughs> Somebody chuckled. <laughs> you want to talk about it for just a second? Let's talk about it for just one second. Okay, you don't want to talk about it, but let's do it anyway. So let's take me, all right? What, what do I do with alcohol? I live in the Austin area. There'd be a lot of booze in the Austin area. <laughs> what do I do with that? If I'm going to use the seven levels of authority here, I'm going to talk first about sovereign authority. 
what has God said? What has he said in particular to me about the life that I should live? What does the sovereign authority say about my use of alcohol? In this case, I don't have a specific thing. I'll get to more about that in a moment. What about the authority of truth? What does the Bible say? Well, we know that Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach. Um, so, so, but we also know very clearly the scripture says not to be drunk on much wine. Don't be drunk. That's the line for us as Jesus followers. That's what the scripture has to say. Everyone enjoying this? Yes or no? Don't answer. <laughs> that's the line. If you're like, whoa, I don't know that. That's the line for a follower of Jesus. But for me, uh, I'll continue on. The authority of the conscience. What, what, what does my conscience have to say about this thing? I don't have any particular, I believe what the Bible has to say. So for my conscience, I don't have much thought, many thoughts about it. However, when I was a youth pastor, I said no because I was over a whole bunch of teenagers and I decided I don't ever be seen with a beer in my hand or anything anywhere because of my conscience in my leadership position over teenagers, I'm not going to do it. Are you seeing it? Do you get me? Number four, we delegated authority. What does Pastor Ross and what does one chapel have to say for me about alcohol? That's something for me to consider. It kind of follows along the lines of what the scripture says. Not much wine. <laughs> Continuing on, authority of customs. What are the customs? Well, around Austin, ay ay ay. have to pay uh, attention to the customs. And again, just as part of our church, I'm in a position of authority. I just don't do it very much. Stipulative authority. What are the terms of any agreements that I might be under? Well, I do have a code of conduct as an employee and as a pastor of one chapel. And I told you already, that means don't be drunk. Just a little bit of wine. And so I, uh, I'm under that agreement. And so I pay attention to that authority. And then finally, Functional authority. That's a little bit challenging, I suppose, in this case. But, but do you kind of get the picture here? I check those out. I go through the levels of authority. You should do the same thing with everything that you do. With every decision that you make. With every belief that you have. And if you will do it, you can know I'm living under the authority have the opportunity for a blessed life because following what the scripture tells me to do I receive protection I receive freedom God comes to me with answers to prayers I, this is the life that we're called to live to be a shining light and example to the world that we live in there's one more passage that I didn't get to in Romans chapter 14 verse 13 and I want to ask you just take some time to read it this week because what Paul highlights for all of us is that even through those seven levels of authority, there's one more thing that kind of supersedes all of them. And that thing is love. And so even after I've checked my levels of authority, and I'm living the way that I'm supposed to live, if I'm with a brother or a sister, and by my drinking, it would cause them trouble or cause them to stumble. They have a history of alcoholism, I don't know. But by doing that, I may cause them to stumble. And so I say no. I have the freedom to do it. But because I love them, I say no to the freedom. Because love supersedes them all. Love supersedes all of the other laws. And when I live this way, I'm a blessing to people around me. I'm under his covering find his freedom and his protection, the life that he's called me to live. Does this make sense, yes or no? 
why don't you close your eyes for a second. We're going to come to the Lord's table and we're going to receive communion. And I want to ask you to just take this moment as you receive the bread and as you receive the cup to use it as a moment where you decide I'm going to once again come under your authority. I'm going to participate with the life that you've called me to live by receiving your body broken for me and by receiving your blood that covers over my sins. And if I've been outside of it, if I've been saying no in an area to my life and I've been ignoring one of these areas, I'm going to bring it back in. And I want to participate with you and live under your authority. Maybe right where you are right now, you need to take a moment and say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry because I've rejected your authority. And today, I want to submit myself to it. You can do it right now. Just go ahead. Just say a simple prayer like that. God, I, I confess my sin to you. I, I repent. I, I turn away. I want to live the life you've called me to live. And then as we receive his body and his blood, let's say yes to that continuing authority.